Triathlon Show 254. What's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of that triathlon show the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I welcome back Phil Burt Phil is a bike fitter and physiotherapist who has spent a long time with British Cycling and Team Sky and this is his second interview on that triathlon show in this episode, uh, I sent out requests for listener questions on the Scientific Triathlon email newsletter and social media. So uh, what we'll do today with Phil is just go through as many as possible of those questions. So thank you to all of you who sent in questions. There are many great questions and we actually managed to cover most of them, even if some questions are kind of duplicates of each other asking the same thing. But we did get to most of them, I think, and some were left because just because we were already running so, so long that, uh, yeah, we just got too many questions. But uh, either way, all your questions are very much appreciated. So uh, we'll get right into the interview after thanking our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. They make electrolyte products that you can match to your individual sweat sodium concentration, and you can do that by taking a free online sweat test on their website. You can get 15% off their electrolyte products with the promo code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. In recent years, Roka has uh, moved from being just a wetsuit and triathlon gear manufacturer, focusing on things like wetsuits, trisuits, and so on, to being a really heavy hitter in the eyewear category. So sunglasses and uh, more and lately prescription glasses as well. So that's something that has been uh, a big focus of the company recently. And they have made some amazing innovations in that category, including things like uh, the Geeko anti-slip technology, uh, the optics and the light weightedness of their glasses and uh, even things like in with the prescription glasses the uh, online vision test that you can take to renew your uh, prescription personally i love both the aviator sunglasses and the uh, matador sunglasses and the rory prescription glasses which i also use uh, so uh, yeah check out roca whatever whether you're looking for wetsuits or or prescription glasses and you can get a 20% discount with the code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Without any further ado, let's get into the interview and the listener Q&A with bike fitter Phil Bird. So welcome back to that triathlon show, Phil. How are you doing? I'm very well considering things have changed quite significantly since we last spoke. <laughs> Yeah, um, a little better. Some some things are maybe even worse. I don't know. The things are different, uh, but also the same. It's uh, it's an interesting world that we live in. But anyway, uh, people are so starting to race at least. There, there was the Ironman Estonia the last weekend by the time of this recording and so on. So, so yeah, let's hope that uh, that things continue to I guess move in the right direction. Yeah. But. Uh, I, can you give the listeners just a brief uh, bio of yourself for those that may not have heard our previous interview? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Phil Burt and I was um, the head physio at um, the British Cy Olympic cycling team and Team Sky for a number of years. And I was the head physio there. 
I became very interested in the ergonomics of cycling uh, because they were so important to both injury and performance. And I suppose at the end, I almost became more of um, involved in what was uh, famously called the Secret Squirrel Club at British Cycling Game. We're coming up with performance advantages in terms of skin suits and stuff. My job was mainly to work incredibly aggressive aero positions, um, sustainable and comfortable enough so they could stay in them for long enough at the end, uh, amongst a load of other things, um, including like we've done some really proud work I'm proud of in changing rules around cycling, around saddle tilt, uh, making interventions to improve comfort in the design of cycle clothing and so on and so forth. And now I've, uh, two years ago, I left that and I've set up my own business where we not only do um, face-to-face bike fittings, um, we support and do that whole process for British triathlon, among others. So open to anybody though, if somebody just got a goal of starting to do a triathlon or an endurance event in cycling, they can come along. And the other half of it is we're hoping to bring better clothing and equipment solutions to the market. Um, so we work with some pretty big bands like Specialized Physique, and we're also coming up with um, I, um, um, clothing ideas ourselves in close partnerships with people. So that's really great because it is equipment-driven sport, and I imagine a lot of the questions we're going to face today, um, as per usual, quite unique to the cycling world, is that unlike some other sports, um, your equipment setup and your position can sometimes be crucial, not only to how well you do, but also your comfort and injury-free status. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll have all the links to the previous episode we did on your website, Philbert Innovation, and uh, so on in the show notes, of course, so people can uh, can find out more there. Uh, but uh, let's crack on with the questions. Uh, there's a lot of them, so uh, <laughs> let's see how many we can get to. But okay. this one is from Mario in the Netherlands, who writes, uh, I'm curious to know Phil's opinion about the necessity for regular bike fits, uh, for example, every year or so. What is the influence of doing a first bike fit and repeated bike fits uh, on performance and injury prevention? Well, that's an absolutely excellent question. And I'm going to be a bit controversial to the bike fitting world and say that um, I think I'd said back in 2010, which is I believe not everybody needs a bike fit, <laughs> which you might, you might find strange for me to say. Um, and therefore, if I say that, then I'd imagine the need for regular bike fits is really down on a personal level. And you wouldn't say everybody would need them. Um, but the thing is, the person is, uh, the human being is adaptable and the bike is adjustable. So once you've got, um, I believe in a bike fit window. And the best way to just answer that is that if you had a really a good bike fit that's put you in your bike fit window for optimal performance and whatever your goal is, you know, different goals match it. Um, mean that the bike is different then year on year unless you're changing or something's changed about you uh, then i don't think you need another bike fit maybe when you change bikes you need a bike fit or change equipment or as i mentioned then if the goal changes that might be you know so if you decide well look <clears throat> i'd like to be much more aero and i've dropped my front end by 30 mil but now I seem to have some other issues at the back end then that might necessitate a, um, a revisit to a bike fit but I think all things being equal, if your goals are the same, you're the same, nothing's changed about you or the bike, then I don't think there's any need for it. It's not like an MOT. <laughs> um, of course, people can go back and get that. I just don't know how much value it would add if um, don't, nothing else has changed. All right, great. And uh, next one, Dan in the UK writes, uh, in terms of uh, a TT bike fit, would you agree with the narrow is the new low notion in terms of aerodynamics? Ooh, that's a really good one. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm going to sit on the fence again here. Um, I, I, 
narrow is better for some people, but not others. Um, in my experience of uh, my wind tunnel work with the Olympic team, Team Sky, is that um, it is incredibly individual. Um, so just the same as saying lower and lower and lower isn't necessary. You do get to a certain point where even lower at the front becomes unaerodynamic because of the influence upon the person and the body and the position they adopt and whether they can actually sustain it or hold it. Um, narrow is better for some people, but it all depends on the airflow. Um, so some people who have a slightly wider um, arm position could necessitate the air flowing back around them and then their legs and then their body. So I don't think it's quite as simplistic as that. Um, as per usual, the world is grey, not black and white, is my answer to that. But, uh, but there definitely doesn't seem to be a trend where uh, I would say I'd agree with Dan, the majority of people seem to be finding more benefits from going narrow the caveat is always we're all different. So um, how we all react to that, some people I know come in and they've been put in that position. And whilst it might be aero for the 30 seconds they hold in the wind tunnel, they can't actually sustain it or hold it due to differences about them. Latissimus dorsal or your lat length, for example, is a real key functional uh, flexibility element in holding to one of those positions because you have to bring your arms so close in and therefore your shoulder flexibility might, might need to be uh, very good to uh, hoover up all the benefits that that position would offer. Okay, so that, that also answers another question by Dan here. Uh, if it is any tips on getting narrow without compromising power, breathing, or stability, especially for triathletes who need to run off the bike. So you're saying that uh, latissimus dorsi and uh, shoulder flexibility are uh, kind of some main main things there that needs to be on point for that to be a possibility. Absolutely. So your thoracic spine mobility, so your foam roller work through there, your neck extension ability, but yeah, the shoulder mobility... Um, if um, what, what I find when I see triathletes who maybe come from the swimming background first of all and then come into triathlon, they often have to work on their lat flexibility quite a lot because it hinders them in terms of getting into an effective position on the bike because um, it, it generally makes it harder for them to bring uh, the arms narrower or indeed uh, you know into what I love is the ninety ninety position shoulder elbow. So yeah, I think it's um, once again it comes down to this: are you the problem or is the position the problem? And if the position is good and you, and you think that's what I want to do. And this is the thing with top athletes, they have to then move themselves towards that. Um, someone who's maybe not got the time to do that, they might say, well, I'll bring the position towards me. Yeah, makes sense. Next question. Petri from Finland writes, when you're fitting the bike by yourself, so doing like home uh, bike fitting, uh, in what order should you optimize the fit? Uh, should you optimize for power, comfort, uh, surface area slash aerodynamics, uh, anything else in uh, in which order of priority, I think is what he's asking. Oh, I like his take on this because that's my, my way of looking at bike fit. Uh, three pillars of fit, aerodynamics, power, and then comfort, sustainability. I think if you're at home, um, it, again, it comes down to the goal. So if uh, if he wants to go and win Olympic gold in the pursuit, I doubt he'd be doing his bike fit on his own if he was doing that, though. <laughs> it would be all about aerodynamics and power, and you you prioritize those two. But at home, I imagine most people doing that at home want to enjoy the cycling and whatever goal they're going after, be it long endurance rides, competing in a triathlon successfully. And I think um, I prioritise comfort and sustainability. And the key one on that, if you ask me in triathlon, is making sure that you can produce a good ride on the bike without compromising your run afterwards. And I think something to, about keeping the hip a little bit open, but be it through the front end being slightly higher than it might be on a very low aggressive time trial bike or manipulating crank length to a lower length, that's key, that's key for me. And being able to get up and over the bottom bracket and pedal hard. So for me, it's comfort, sustainability, power, aero in that order when you're at home. Air is very, very hard to do on your own at home as well. It's uh, yeah, with any objectivity, you know. Yeah, perfect. Uh, next one, uh, 
Christian in Germany, uh, one of my coach athletes actually, uh, asks about cleats. He, cleats are probably the number one fitting point that is readily adjustable by the rider and uh, have to be adjusted by the rider quite often, for example, when buying new shoes. What are your suggestions for procedures and general guidelines? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> okay, so um, first of all, so you should you should always um, if you go for a bike fit, they should always look at your cleat position, advise on it, and get it in an optimal place. Whilst you've got the, the the tools and kit that are there to help measure that and its effect on your cycling, but it's, so I think there's two different things there. Setting up a new cleat position is slightly different to transferring one. So if I can address the transferring one, once you've got it set up well and you're happy with it my always advice is don't if you can always have two pairs of shoes and when you set up a new pair of cleats just put it on the new shoe i used to do that with my athletes because basically if something goes wrong in that transfer position then you're sensitive to it at least you got the old setup to go back to and to reference to there's nothing worse than meeting somebody who says i i used to be really happy with my cleat setup i've taken them off it's gone i've got these new ones you know and you alternatively if you can't afford new shoes which not everyone can make sure you draw around where your cleats were you know on the bottom of the shoe so you can and if you change into the same cleats that's going to be fairly easy to replicate setting up your, your own cleat position is that that's where you might need if you're struggling you might need some objective help for a bike fit or something but uh, generally I, I think trial and error you know just um getting on there making sure that you're comfortable that you're you think you can produce the power that you want to uh, you're happy with it you know um we always forget the you know we always have these high and fancy tech measuring systems but the human being is the sensitive multi-sensory computer that measures how it feels so i would rule you know it's cleat setup go for comfort and what feels right and trust your instinct because it's probably going to be right all right and the second part of his question is around the praying mantis position uh, i heard re- i heard and read mixed recommendations regarding a high hands with angled extensions position ranging from it is super comfortable to it is really not that arrow if you ride it in changing winds and or at speeds lower than 40 kilometers per hour uh, what are your recommendations regarding the praying mantis position okay so i don't know about um i can imagine why crosswinds might cause that issue because it, it is maybe a bigger cross-sectional area um and yours and speeds i don't know anything about that but uh, but my um take on this is that um uh, again the world is gray not black and white so one size fits all won't suit everyone but i think the trend towards a high hand position is not so much to do with it is in actual fact itself more aero although it may well be in some people it's more to do with if you imagine you know an error a time job good time job position is very high at the back very low at the front and therefore it feels like you're slipping forward now some of us are better in the upper body uh, strength wise of holding that position the more you ride that position the better you get you know but some people i think the high hands position for myself works better for people and produces better results because it produces almost something that they can push back against and indeed that's what we did a lot when my time at bc was often um getting just the arm guards to um be elevated rather than straight flat so that at least they were coming to even if it was just a a, a normal straight curved uh, time trial bar that was going um, sorry, straight bar, lawnmower curved at the end. At least their forearms were already approaching that in the right way, and it gives you that thing to push back on. So it's a bit like it's sort of falling off the front of the bike, which often riders describe in trying to hold aggressive aero positions, and therefore they move out the aero position quite frequently. The classic one is always Alberto Contador reference, although I'm not sure, without knowing his detailed history, I can't really ever comment that it was that. But yeah, it produces, I think there's a lot to do with actually the high-hand position helps you um, physically hold the position better as well as maybe being more aero in some people mm. 
Uh, next question is from uh, Carl in uh, Germany who writes, uh, uh, is there a way to find out which saddle might work well for me without buying all of the saddles and trying them? <laughs> That's a really good point. Uh, yeah, I, I often see people come in and I feel for her uh, with a bag of 10 saddles and I wish I met them first of all. I think um, it's a good question. Um, a lot of companies do offer trial and uh, trial and return now, um, and some shops will do that, and and that's a one way of doing it. If you have a good local shop that um, or bike fitter, I would I offer a saddle fit process, and I would try and find somebody if you someone who struggles with saddle pain or discomfort, then I would um, definitely recommend going for a process. So instead of being a monkey throwing darts or a dartboard, you're you're more like the world champion throwing darts and at least you're going to get near the bullseye of the right two or three cells that work for you. Um, and the other thing I would encourage there, and it sounds like, you know, you heard me say at the beginning, I'm not just uh, um, promoting bike fit per se by saying not everybody needs it. But um, I would I would say in this case, it, you can have the best saddle in the world, but if it's not in the right position, it won't work. So you might be better to make sure that your position is optimal, first of all, and then trying different saddles in that position. And of course, making, but some really easy hints are um, that you know, if you're time trialing, then you may need a split nose saddle, a short nose saddle. If you're road biking, it's generally a T-shaped saddle. Um, yeah, things like that can are really easy things to, 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 to help people get in the right place. But it might be that if you're having problems, I might try and find someone who can help you put, put you through a bit of a process. Right. Uh, next question. Ian asks, uh, what are your top three DIY home bike fitting adjustments? <laughs> right. I always make sure your saddle is level or slightly nose down. I don't know of any saddle that's designed to be used nose up. Um, it may sound weird. Make sure your saddle is pointing straight down the top tube. You wouldn't believe how many people get saddle issues because the saddle is twisted without them noticing. Um, but uh, in terms of bike fit... I always think um, I don't like uh, the. I see sorry, I don't like. I see problems with people who ride in the very old school fashion of the hoods rotated down over the the bars at the front. So your hood should always be meeting your wrist and allowing you to adopt what I call a wrist neutral position. So if anything, slightly rotated up normally produces a lot more comfort. My good tip, top tip is you won't believe how double bar taping really improves your comfort on the bars because. It's not to do with the bar tape just absorbing more vibration, but it increases the diameter of lots of bars, which basically makes your grip more effective and therefore increase comfort. Uh, <clears throat> if you're um, more often than not, the most common pattern I see is most people sit too low and too far back. Uh, my theory on that is that we're all really good at sitting in the modern world, but we're not necessarily brilliant at riding bikes. But it's more often it's more counterintuitive for people to put the saddle height up and forward. Um, of course, I don't. It, giving advice out like this is sometimes has to be cavity where we don't know you, but it might be worth trying sometimes rather than the backwards and downwards and further into more problems that way. I know they would be my. Oh, and the last one is always consider tar width if comfort is an issue for you on the bike, especially low back pain if uh, the jolts and the road cause a problem. Um, the trend towards the more wider tires that people are seeing now, even if you. It's just for training, you know, you, you can have a higher rolling resistance while you're training, you know, on a nice comfortable bike and then convert to your, your speed bike with a narrow tire when you go to it. But you cannot believe the difference that tire whip makes to overall cycling comfort, no matter what your position. 
Mm, that's that's a really good good point and or many many excellent points there. Uh, next one related to something you just mentioned around uh, saddle height, uh, bringing it up and forward a bit. Uh, Josephine in Germany asks: Is there something like an optimal saddle height, and can it be objectively measured? Uh, she mentions that she's heard pe- some people say things like as high as possible without any movement or rotation of the pelvis. Uh, so, uh, yeah, what's your take on this? I guess that we can rephrase the question. Like, if you try to experiment on your own with your saddle height, how, how do you know when it's at the right point? Ah, yeah, absolutely. It's hard without some objective measures that I would use in the clinic. But if I was trying to do it myself, I think some of the old rule of thumb measures like um, in your inseam time is 0.883 will get you into what the bike fit window so so the first thing is there is no one optimal saddle height there's a saddle height window and that's different some people's windows is higher oh sorry bigger and some people's is really narrow their their tolerance to moving out of that either way too low too high is not i i I hear what she's saying about saddle power does come with saddle height and uh and getting it far forward so reducing the setback but it does become a point where that becomes counter to um uh, unproductive and indeed rocking of the pelvis to reach the to reach the pedal on one side and the other is, in, is an indication that it's too high um in, interesting though massive rocking can also be an indication it's too low because you just your hips are coming up and the knees forcing it over i think experimentation of where um <clears throat> on a turbo to making sure that you're not getting pain at the back of your knee um, but you're feeling like you can lay down power the feeling that you're planted and that you're stable on the saddle, um, most people can feel that and interpret it, you know. Um, but it's making sure the combination of the three things for me are saddle tilt, saddle setback, and saddle height are all in symphony with each other. So just finding your optimal saddle height, for example, if you keep putting the saddle up and you're not correcting setback, in other words, moving the saddle forward, and if it's a slightly, if it's a road bike and it's um, the effective seat tube angle means that you're going back on the saddle so you might be coming close to the effective saddle height but you're too far back to reduce effective power so those those things need to be taken into account um and you know what if you do have a power meter <clears throat> if you're in a better good saddle height position your power will go up so that's something you could follow perfect uh, next question is from joel in singapore who writes should triathletes fit their road bikes differently to pure road cyclists to minimize angle differences uh, compared to the TT bike and uh, so that they can work the muscles similarly to what they would do on the TT bike? Uh, it's a good question. Now, I'm going to, again, be slightly controversial, and some people who have seen me will uh, might be listening to this will recognize that. I think um, trying to be aero on a road bike uh, in triathlon um, to the extent that you look like you're on a TT bike is like putting lipstick on a pig it's just not going to work because of some of the things I just mentioned. So it, what the what the questionnaire is asking then is a really valid point. You you know, you, ideally you would want your training to be in as similar position as that of what you're going to compete in for all the reasons we know, you know, muscles work in the same way, muscle ten, length, tension relationships. But unfortunately, because of the effective seat tube angle in the road bike, to get that saddle firm enough forward to probably your ideal time trial position would be or aero position is very hard to achieve on that. You know, you run out of room basically. And then at the front end, you know, you just end up closing up the hips so much. One caveat to that would be you probably have much more joy in getting as high, much higher on your road bike and further forward into a sort of to try time trial position if you reduce crank length on your road bike and that helps you mitigate the fact that the road bike geometry is more um, it, it laid back into the endurance sort of um, sit, more sitting up uh, position. So that would be a question. 
Although the ultimate gold standard answer would be, if you're that worried about that, don't train on your road bike, training your time trial bike all the time. Yeah, and and a follow-up question there that Joel also writes is uh, considerations around doing brick runs off the road bike uh, versus a tri- time trial bike. Sorry, brick runs. What do you mean by that, Michael? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, so running like tra- like in training, running yeah. off the bike, yeah. uh, as in as in a race, but doing yeah. that after you've been training on the road bike in a different position than you would do on your time trial bike. Like, but yeah. do you think are there any it's, considerations there? Should you mostly do do brick runs if you're racing on your TT bike after yeah. training on the TT bike? Definitely, the TT bike's the issue because basically, as you, your hip is much more closed up, um, especially if you haven't um, dropped crank length significantly compared to your road bike. Um, so, people who are racing on time trial bikes with the same crank length on a road bike, one of my golden tips is that should always be five mil less than your, your crank length should be five mil less than your road bike to to enable an effective and open hip to reduce power and to be more freer when you get off. But if I was practicing running off the bike, I would definitely do off the time trial because that's the one that feels like you've been sat in a a very small old mini car and driven the length of um, Europe, you know, and getting out the other end trying to walk. <laughs> so it, it, it's just, it, we don't use our hip flexors in cycling so much. It's more there in your hip is stuck in a range for such a long time that as you get off the bike, the hip, one part of the hip flexor, the psoas attaches to the bottom free lumbar vertebrae and therefore pulls it into extension. And that's that stiffness you feel as you get off the bike. That some people take, you know, it's a few minutes until they feel like they're free in their hips and pelvis to run properly. So uh, practicing that though would be best straight off the time trial bike yeah yeah no, I, i would totally agree with that uh the next one is not a question actually it's just uh it's bento in brazil writes i want to thank phil for his advice which was the right saddle is one of the best investments in aerodynamics or something to that effect uh, he had a bike fit and had trouble keeping the aero position for long rides then changed the saddle uh, to another one and now he can keep the aero position on long rides without any discomfort so uh, yeah that's uh, from the previous uh, episode so uh, just a thank you And uh, the next question is from John in the UK, who asks uh, again about cleat, posi- well, about cleats, but this is the cleat position. So thoughts on cleat position being further back on the shoe rather than a standard standard ball of foot uh, position. Uh, so what do you think about that? And he also mentions proposed benefits of reducing load on the calves during cycling so that they can feel fresher for the run. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm I don't. I, I think moving your cleats all the way back has no negative effects that I know of because we're in a really stiff carbon fiber shoe, um, that, that especially in the time trial position. Um, by moving the cleats backwards, there are other these arguments, the arch cleat components, and people saying that if you narrow the distance between you know the ankle joint and where you're delivering the power, then there's less chance of it moving. But remember, that's really in the, the foot's inside this very hard carbon fiber shoe, you know. So it's more to do with actually how you support the foot inside there. Will have bigger differences to that. Um, but I like moving the cleats backwards because of what it does to the position of the knee over the foot. As we get more and more aggressive positions, one thing you have to watch out for is the knee becoming. Um, over compressed at the front and that can lead to knee pain it's one of the surefire things that um, you know knee injury is the most common um, injury in cycling um the oxymoron is cycling is really good for knees but that's the thing you always look for is whether someone is sitting too far far forward and compressing the kneecap um so one thing i like to do with my athletes if you're going for ultra aggressive position is just move that cleat all the way back i've never seen any negative effects of that and i would agree although i have no evidence for it i believe there's some research out there it probably would decrease 
total calf loading. One little um, insight there is that um, we don't actually generate any power below the knee in cycling. It's all generated in the quads and the glutes. And then it's the job of the lower limb, the calf, the foot and the ankle to transfer that power as delivered. And the reason why we know that is that, that our Paralympic cyclists with no limbs below the knee are the best power transfer, ironically, because it's just a stiff thing. So, yeah, I think moving the cleats backwards, um, A, for me, is a knee sort of tick safety safety element. But, yeah, it it, it probably does help people um, transfer power better. Right, perfect. And uh, the second question from John is uh, for the same uh, athlete with their own unique attributes, would the resulting position from an optimal fitting for triathlon performance uh, differ from the resulting position for an optimal standalone uh, cycling time trial performance? So just by moving the cleats with the position change? No, no, this is, this is not unrelated to the cleats. This is just general okay. bike fit. So would, would the bike fit for somebody doing a half or full distance Ironman, for example, be dif- dis- different from somebody focusing on 40k TTs? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you take – absolutely. I think it, it comes down to the person, of course, and the and, and the goal. But if you if we, if we extrapolate that back to a team pursuit, team pursuit Olympic position, so that's less than four minutes, The if we go back to the three pillars of fit, aerodynamics, power, and comfort sustainability, uh, the last one, comfort sustainability, hardly means anything in, in that four minutes. In other words, if it's more uh, more power, they can probably hold on and they can hold on to four minutes, then that is the position. So they're the most aggressive positions. They're the highest saddles. You'll see the hard, most far forward and the lowest of the front with the most aggressive, you know, tight ang- angles everywhere. Um, I think as you come back off that, the sustainability and um, comfort issue becomes more important because of the distance increasing and therefore staying in uh, the most aero silhouette starts to um graduate backwards and upwards because you have to you know not not many people can hold those aggressive positions for that long you know um i have seen some people hold amazingly aggressive positions for 40k time trials but by the time you get to half iron man and iron man it really is it has to be it's that it's that balance there where you know if you go super aero yeah you'll probably get through the first checkpoint fastest but by the foot yeah by the last one you won't most people will be moving around so much and ineffective and uncomfortable and not putting effective power down that they've got so it's getting that balance right so yes i agree with them i think those positions are different what about if you're going for like a 100 mile tt which is i think is getting more popular versus yeah. an ironman so essentially the distance is very similar so the difference is that you don't need to run after that 100 mile tt yeah. versus the ironman bike would there be any significant differences between those two optimal bike fits um I, my my one yes in that you could because you haven't got the run afterwards you wouldn't be so concerned about the hip maybe being tight um but my take on that is that i, I would still want an optimal hip position for power production in other words i would i'd if that 100k time trial i think we'd start with the back end and get you as high and as far forward as possible so that you're using the biggest strongest muscle in your body the glute as well as the quad as much as possible because if you ain't going fast then you aren't going to go any faster by making yourself more aero and then consider the front end cockpit area I think for that though 100k tire trials you, you'd look at something that supports the back end almost in the most aero position so probably a high hands position um probably higher than you would take for normally uh in the let's say you know your 10 time 10 mile time trials 25 mile trials 50 mile time trials you're looking at much more high than that because you want to support um not many people the limiting factor is actually the same thing as a race across america it'll be your ability to look up the road and extend the neck 
And that's why you have to come up a bit at the front, you know, to support that. Um, and hence why I think time trial specific training for those longer events actually comes down to those riding in, in position, um, but specifically strength, you know, looking to um, your body to strengthen it in position for better that there. So um, things that you can do to yourself that help out would be thoracic foam rolling to help the neck extend. What you're talking about there, Michael, or the answer is basically looking up at the ceiling. You know, imagine painting a ceiling for however long it would take to do that. And that is hard. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, Barnaby, again in the UK, uh, asks, uh, I use a Watt bike at my local gym to complete my midweek bike interval workouts. Uh, because this is a shared Watt bike with other users of the gym, I have to set it up for my own specifications each time, and I see many other gym goers do the same. Uh, what's your opinion on setting up these machines, these Watt bikes, to best fit the athlete? Uh, well, it, it, the easiest way would be um, so that's the, the great question there is a position replication, you know? So there's bike fit and then there's bike. Rep- position replication and that's really hard I, I i if you go down to the start of the tour de france uh this week you'll see um i guarantee you'll find one rider arguing with his very com- qualified mechanic about his position being wrong on the spare bike or something it, it's, it's hard to do and others are better some are better than others but um i would say if you if you have a position that you want to you're training in and you want to replicate into a lot bike you should measure that position the way that you do and then measure it in the gym so take a tape measure with you don't rely and once you know the position on the watt bike there's some pretty good um you know demarcations on there so if you know the saddle heights you know 11 eight whatever it is the front end should be this but initially in transferring the position if you can take some simple measures i recommend taking saddle height in your own way maybe from non-drive side um, bottom bracket to a position on the saddle a lot of pro teams you'll see uh, a white mark 10 centimeters back from the nose of the saddle and that's when they measure to so they're measuring to the same place every time you can do that or you can measure to the center of the saddle or to the nose as long as you're measuring in the same way on your bike at home and then the watt bike in the gym you should be able to transfer the position quite well um and then the second one would be no tip of nose of saddle to the where you hold you know the hoods and that, if they measured those two pretty good the watt bike's really good though, those side because they 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 combinate quite a lot of um flexibility within people one thing to note on that is that the crank length is 170 in watt bikes and it's interesting michael a lot of people come to me and say i seem to be able to use a lot more power on the watt bike than their own bike and whilst a static bike, you know, often people produce a lot more power on turbo than they do out of the road. Some of us like the movement of the bike on the road and produce more power. In some cases, it's because that crank length suits them much better. So if any of your listeners are finding that a watt bike is much more comfortable and they're riding 175 on the road, but 170 on the watt bike, it could be something to explore for them. Mm, yeah, interesting. Uh, next question, uh, Angel uh, asks, uh, what are the principles for uh, fitting or yeah, choosing the right handlebar width? Ah, right. So <laughs> if you ever come to my um, bike fitting clinic, um, you'll see we have lots and lots of very fancy gadgets. And um, I always say to my clients, these are the measuring stick tapes. That's all they are. It's all about the interpretation. The good news is for handlebar width, my, my way of assessing it is that if you set up your bike in front of a mirror, and you come in to see me. If you look at your hands on the hoods, the middle of your, the middle of your, uh, where your hand is on the hood between your thumb and index finger, where you are there should go. If you hold a pole up to that or do a straight line for it, it should go right through the middle of your shoulder joint. 
So if you if you it's hard this because we're describing a visual thing, but hopefully you can understand what I'm saying. Yep, yep. So so your your arms on the hood should be in line with that. Now if they're outside that, your your handlebars are too wide, and that's a really common thing. It's a, often can lead to you know um, the splayed hand means that you know you put too much pressure on the female elements, and it can increase workload through the shoulders and neck pain and so forth. And I had great success in moving people from. You know, 44, 42 to either 40 or 38 handlebars. Of course, the advantage is now handlebars are more aero, but that's not the main reason to do it. Um, and a lot of standard bikes do come with, if you ask me, slightly too wide the handlebars for the uh, for the modern rider. And so, yeah, that's the way I would do it. And it's really easy to do. Um, and you can sort of almost see it yourself. You know, if you haven't got, if you got, you're on your, if, you, if you're not confident, get someone with a turbo, get get yourself on the turbo, get someone in front of you with just a long, uh, like a broom handle. And they just stick it straight you know, through the middle of your thumb and forefinger up there. And if it's going at that line, that broom looks like it's outside the line of your shoulder. And you should probably move to a narrower, narrower handlebar. All right. And he also asks, how does mountain bike fitting differ from fitting a road bike? Massively. <laughs> and I, I'm definitely not the expert in that these days. Um, I, I would have had a very good go at mountain bike 10, 15 years ago. But that ended, that that whole riding style has completely changed over the last 10 years uh, i remember speaking to todd carver who taught me a lot of what i know about bike fit he's um used to, used to be the head of retool fitting and is now in charge of product design that specialized but and from a mountain bike background in colorado and the whole thing where the mountain bike stems are shortened up massively dropper posts all this means that um yeah, mountain bike fit is a different game. So it's very different to road biking. In terms of like the bikes have changed themselves as well in terms of the overall length of them. It's all about speed and control going downhill. So you're dealing with different goals there as well. So it's just like the goal and the, the train has changed. And one thing to always remember with mountain bike is that the bottom brackets are generally wider than road bikes. And that in itself can cause people issues you are transferring across for them. And related to this question, the next one is from Matthias in Finland, who is also a scientific triathlon client coached by Coach Lockie. Uh, he writes, how common is bike fitting for mountain bikes uh, for Xterra type of racing or mountain bike racing? Because by nature, you are changing your position on the bike all the time. Uh, would bike fitting be done primarily in the order of first buying a well-fitting bike? Or would you tune your existing Wait, do I get this question right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to reread it here. Well, let, let's first ask this question. How common is bike fitting for mountain biking? And and I also guess from my perspective, uh, the way I read it or understand it is maybe how necessary is it? Is it as, as sort of as important uh, as for road bikes and TT bikes? And he's absolutely right. It's probably mountain bike fit is is probably not as, a, as important as a maybe the absolute finer details of it because he's right you're out of the saddle you're in the saddle you're moving around having said that having the right saddle for example when you're on that bike will be very important um of course handlebar width is generally wider and and you have more options there so i can see where he's coming from it's not my area of expertise i have to absolutely say but one thing i helped out my mountain bike as well was they still suffer with some of the similar issues so getting um yeah obviously cleat placement is not nearly as important because you have so much flow to move around but i think one thing i'd say about mountain biking is that that you to invest in position wise was making sure that you had a position that whilst you needed to be pedaling hard allowed you to pedal hard you know so that would be my key where you don't want to be sitting too low or too high on it um for the combination but admittedly lots of different terrains descending up and down and as i said with drop the seat posts and everything now i can see what the, the argument that uh, 
uh, uh, the fit changes all the time on the bike itself almost yeah and now i understand the second part of the questions so it is <laughs> if you get a, a bike fit for a mountain bike would it would the best use of that be to get the fit in order to buy uh, a well-fitting bike so a bike with the right geometry and size and everything or would the best use be to well you have the bike you've already bought the bike and you tune the fit of that bike to yourself and your goals uh, always the uh, always the first the former um if you can find somebody you, you trust who's good at mountain bike fitting knows the industry knows the components knows the equipment that's available i would go to them and say could you recommend me the best position if they have a jig they should be able to set it up they might be able to do it it might be a fit on your current thing but you can basically have a bike fit on that current bike and then if there's anything that's vastly out of order then you know you you know say you're on the, there's a better size frame and that stage and not later more importantly for me at least you can normally spec out the right things instead of accepting the standard things that come on it for example the, a certain size bike will always come with a certain size crank length and the the bike company doesn't know you and, and say you've got long leg short torso you may require a different bike, but yeah, um, stem and crank length combination so I, I think the former yeah right and the next question from fernando in portugal who writes uh, nowadays more and more fitters are considering the use of short cranks uh, as the best choice for tt bikes you already alluded to this um, and uh, a lot of people have this question so let's first uh, just generally can you speak a little bit about short shorter cranks for tt bikes yeah so it comes down to this um uh the research is really quite solid now that um, we used to think crank length or the cycling world used to think that crank length made it was very important in terms of power production and torque and so on and so forth but it's only really important in maximal cycling which is the, that's um track sprint cycling and it's literally the first few revolutions of getting off a start line in a track team sprint that beyond that in what we all do which is technically in the scientific world term submax cycling um, you have to go as low as 80 millimeters or as high as 320 millimeters to see a difference in power production given all the rest of the parameters stay the same. So in other words, if I put you on bike and manipulate your crank length, that's the only times we'll start to see a difference in your ability to produce power. That given, it's a, it's a parameter that is poorly understood and not often manipulated to best effect. What I mean by that is that if you're trying to adopt a very aggressive um, aero position, the problems with that are normally your knees are coming and your thighs are coming quite close to your chest, making it harder to breathe because it's lower at the front. Your knees might be getting close to your arm pads and nearly get hitting those. And your hip is getting incredibly close, which might mean that, A, you get tightness when you get off the bike. You might be vascularly impairing yourself. Some people get that. Uh, and, set, and lastly, you're probably having a bigger dead spot at the top dead center as you wait to engage your hip. And also, it tightens up your back as the hips so close. So, given that, if we if we if we know crank length makes little difference to power reduction, all it does is change your gearing. In other words, if I had you on a bike right now, Michael, in your time trial position, and it's on a jig, and I drop the crank length uh, by five mil, of course, if you stay in the same gear, you'll let your cadence will go up. But all you do is you correct for that. So, really. Crank length is part of your gearing system and can be manipulated with great success to help you become more stable, comfortable, and powerful on the bike. And it's as simple as that. 
Perfect. And you already answered the specific question that Fernando had, which was about the study supporting this option. And you mentioned there that it is well well supported now that between 80 millimeters and 320, you don't really change power production. So so that's uh, all good. Okay. Uh, the next one, uh, let me see here. When If you're doing using a road bike with clip-on aero bars, this is Christian from Croatia. You're using a road bike with clip-on aero bars for middle distance triathlon. Uh, what is the best approach to fitting? Should you optimize for aero position uh for a tt position sorry or for road bike position or find something in in between that is acceptable for sort of both ends yeah so i think we um we had a very similar question earlier and i'll reference my <laughs> i think putting clip-on bars on a road bike is a little bit like putting lipstick on a pig it's um it's hard to make it it can have some benefit in that if you can get down on them, we, and we all see road riders do that in the Tour de France, put their arms under um, on those shoes, like, you know, in that sort of, sort of praying mantis type position. But basically, the, the road bike is geometry set up to ride as a road bike, and they haven't considered you going down onto strap, onto clip ons on it. So it's always a compromise. And as I mentioned earlier, you can, if you want to do it, you can do it. And if you did it, I would recommend <laughs> going back to our previous question, I would manipulate crank length down because the road bike definitely will close your hip up. Because unlike a time trial bike, which would normally would either have a very steep or an inline seat post, the road bike uh, seat, um, seat post angle is around about 73, 74 degrees on most bikes and therefore will close up your hip even more. In other words, it, it's pinching it together. So I think you can put clip ons on. It's always a compromise as long as you accept that and know that that's fine and you think oh well i'd like to be down there on my road bike and have that what i would say is to make that better i would drop your crank length and then move your saddle and make sure your saddle is as high and far forward as you can so you can drop onto those bars um but as always it's it's a bit like saying what is the best position for riding on the flat going up a hill and going downhill well there are three different positions if you down a downhill race i wouldn't i would say you're up in one position if you're going uphill all day everesting it's a it's a different position and that's the same with that where you can't have you can't have your cake and eat it sort of thing Perfect. And you already answered the next question, which was from Kate in the US, who asks, should you adjust your bike fit if you now have clip-on aero bars on your road bike? So that's that's done. Uh, let's see here. Next question is around Frank Lang from Michelle. Uh, that one we also answered, I think. This one is, well, let's take this aspect of it. So she's a five foot four inches female and have been experimenting with shorter crank lengths and uh, she has find, found that shorter ones 160 to 165 uh, works better for her uh, is so let's take it from this perspective is uh, height of the person also a thing to consider when it comes to uh, to crank length uh, definitely um so she she's five foot four is relatively short in the world and uh, that's great um, I've actually had the uh, pleasure of fitting a couple of um, dwarves and midgets, which is fantastic, and they have the bespoke bikes. And you can, they, some of their crank lengths we took down to as low as one, one thirty, one twenty. You know, and uh, after you manufacture that, so yeah, undoubtedly, it's not necessarily a height. It's just that, that, that then the proportion of everything else is going down. You know, so no doubt she would definitely find um, benefit from going to much smaller cranks. Not uh, so that it, it all comes back to the the hip again and uh, you know total top, top dead center getting further away from you um and therefore you get you've got more open hip and that opens up the potential of developing your position so yeah a height is um is a, it's just one other measure of uh, why that would happen but smaller people are on smaller bikes and therefore need smaller cranks absolutely 
Mm. And and here is my question, follow up on this actually. So through the all the bike fits that you do, yeah. what do you find if you make recommendations to change crank lengths? What tends to be the average crank length that you recommend that would be the best for the average rider and maybe separate for males and females who are different heights? But would it yeah, do do you have an idea of how, yeah, so how much you that, that's a that's a hard question to answer, but a good question to answer because <laughs> it puts me on the spot. Um I come at it in three different ways. First of all, relatively, remember road bike position and time trial bike, there should be a five mil difference in those. If you've got them both right, you know, if you've got one right, the road bike, you should, your road time trial position should be at least five mil shorter because of the, it, those positions are different. The second way is that I generally find, I think the, the given the evidence, I don't think the bike, uh, the bike manufacturers have caught up with how to optimally spec their bikes. So what you generally find is, I don't know if you agree with this, Michael, but, Anything above a 56 is coming with a 175 crank normally. You're, you're, you're 7.5, 59. Yeah. The middle one's coming with 172.5, lower is 160. It's rare to see a 165 or anything other than a 49 inch, very small. Yeah, one. What, what, 170, 170 for the small ones. I think you said yeah. 160. So I think that all, in my opinion, and it is just my opinion, but based on what you asked me, what I see, I continually shift people down to lower cranks. Uh, to optimize what they're trying to do on the bike, which is the same for all your listeners are trying to do, which is trying to get an optimal position. You know, it may have different goals, but you know, comfort, sustainability, aero, but that, that ultimately, and, and crank manipulating crank length down, I can tell you from my personal experience, both at the very top of Olympic and professional cycling, um, and then even with uh, ordinary people now, we've been doing this over two and a half years. It has an even bigger effect on the mere mortals of us trying to achieve these things because we normally have lifestyles outside of being an athlete that compromise our athletic abilities and it, you know, opening it up and decreasing crank length makes it easier to do the job we're doing. So I think there'll be, I think what you'll see is a shift changed in the next five to ten years where crank lengths will start to come. Some companies are already doing it, letting you spec what crank length you want. You know, not not you having to replace it at your own cost, but a certain size bike and um i think you'll see the the people change it um to to achieve what to to suit the goals that people are trying to achieve and if you could choose the oh. <laughs> like how, how how much shorter it would be would it so be put, five millimeters put, shorter or uh, 10 millimeters yeah, yeah. shorter yeah well, good question my right on the spot thinking here i'm going to use myself as an experiment i ride 170 now i've got a bit of a knackered hip on the right side from my previous sport in history but i think everyone should go five mil down so if you're on 175, I think going to 170 will not affect your performance in any way, shape, or form. The question with that is, once you go down that much, so if everyone goes down 5 mil, is um, you need to make sure you hoover up the benefits of that by changing your position, if that makes yeah? So basically, yeah. if you wanted to go faster, if you just want comfort, stay in the same position, it's comfortable, drop your crank length, it's more comfortable. But when you drop the crank length, remember, when we drop it 5 mils, then you need to put your satellite up by the same amount because top bottom dead center assuming your saddle height is perfect or optimal all of a sudden bottom dead center of the pedal comes five mil closer we want to maintain your saddle height if it's good because that's what produces power what we let go away is the top dead center because that makes it easier for you your hip to move the advantage there then is if you do manipulate crank length is that i would say that nudging your saddle uh, further forward maybe nose down means that you can get up and above the bottom bracket and maybe improve reach you know I've, i change crank length for some people and it changes their they think they're on the wrong bike they just can't get close enough to the handlebars because the crank length forces them to sit further back on the bike so it can demonstrably increase the comfort at the front end as well by enabling you to put your saddle in the right place 
uh, the reach function is something that um, is is really miscommonly understood is that a lot of people come in and say to me, oh, I think I'm on the wrong size bike. And it turns out they're just sitting far too far back. Now, when you move that up and forward, they feel great. Often what you have to do then is change the crank lift though, because that, the hips get a bit too closed at the top as they come over to that. But their reach feels much, much better straight away. And what we do is the icing on the cake and the final stroke of that is just manipulating the crank length to make sure that it's long-term comfortable for them. All right, perfect. That's a brilliant answer. Uh, next question from Everett in the United States who writes, uh, my bike fitter and I agreed to start slow and not be too aggressive with uh, the position in terms of aerodynamics. I feel very comfortable now and would like to try lowering my position for uh, for next season. Are there any general tips or recommendations for how much to change the uh, the stems or like, yeah, change the stem height, remove some spacers? What are the signs that I might be ready for a more aggressive position? Sure. So if it, that's a, it's a really good approach and I applaud him for it and his coaches advising him really well there. I'm a definite proponent of evolution, not revolution. And, and, and in my bike fit process, we'll often not, if you change everything at once, you won't know what's going on. And that's good general advice around the whole bike fit area. For this specific case, I would say, I think in, it all it's all dependent how sensitive you are to changes. So if you're somebody who, if five mil, millimeter change in saddle height or front end or anything, you know, you put your bike back together at the other end of a, a, a plane trip and if one thing's out and you're really sensitive to it i would go in five mil steps but normally most people can accept 10 mils as a change and my really good question he asked there is that how you know how do you know you're comfortable if you're comfortable now and you're not having problems aches or pains that continue off the bike and you can sustain yourself then that's fine you're probably ready for a change when you make the change make the 10 mil change but then give yourself time to adjust to it in other words don't go out and do the longest ride you've ever done in the new position <laughs> you know break yourself into it and the next time you're ready to change again is when you're again you're really comfortable things seem settled you're fine with the position and you're not getting off the bike with pains that last into the next day of course if anybody rides 100 miles i always say this that it hurts <laughs> you expect to have a little bit of aches and pains it's whether they last for days and days after that that's that's not what i would call useful pain you know so i think 10 mil changes I said to most people, if you think you're sensitive and you know yourself to be maybe what I describe as a micro adjuster, I think five mils might be the way to go forward. So small check changes. Remember, the body will always adapt. Younger, When we're younger, we used to adapt much better. As we accumulate injury, stiffness, inflexibility through our lives, most of it becomes less, most of it become a bit less adaptable. If you drive a desk all week during the week for your job, then your lumbar pelvic flexibility is going to be much less than somebody who may have a more active job as well. So those sort of things come into it as well. Right. Uh, next one. Anna in Austria writes, what's your opinion about oval chain rings? I have the impression that they helped me on the TT bike, but the studies don't seem to be conclusive. <laughs> and she's absolutely right. They're not. Um, apart from the studies done by the oval ring train com- tra- um, chain companies, which, of course, will always support yeah. them. But, <laughs> and, uh, uh, it's a good question that we're often asked. I, I don't think there's any – my, my again, slightly controversial answer to this is there's no free lunch. A circle is a circle. So the oval ring um, argument is, if I'm right, that you know, you're more in an extension phase so you can reduce more power when you're pushing down. Um, um and the counter of that, though, is you're more in the recovery phase as well. So it takes longer to get back around. Um, what I've experienced is some pr- pr- the pros who I know use them. Generally, what they tend to, what you'll find, is, and if you look into, it, a lot of people will chop and change. So they go onto oval rings, and they think they're great, and then they come off and they think normal rings are fine, and they go back to oval rings. So what I think you what you get with the oval ring is that quite often people will experience an uplift in performance, but that is literally because you're changing 
your, your pedal environment. And that, that's the same as anything. You know, whenever you make a change to anyone's position, quite often, as long as it's not putting them in a suboptimal position, uh, the body's looking for that new position and therefore engages with it better, you know, where the foot is and how you feel it. So often it will produce a change, which if you look at, well, unfortunately, though, the regression to the mean curve then kicks in and over time it goes back to where it was. That's my theory around where you see a lot of pro athletes chopping and changing in between them, you know. Um, I, the evidence that I know fully supports your caller in uh, question there that it's that there isn't much evidence to suggest that there's a black and white oval chain wings are better than normal ones. And if you think about it, just by the sheer laws of physics, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Next question is from Andre in Norway who writes uh, or who asks, uh, well, you mentioned as an example here, just as a preamble from me, that uh, racing racing the saddle means that you should also put it forward. And what Andre asks is exactly this. Uh, can we talk about what are the consequences of certain changes? So, for example, when racing the saddle, uh, you must also uh, put it forward. Are there other examples of this that we should know about? Um, yes, so... Um so the quick the when yeah when raising the saddle if you want to maintain the same position then you should be moving it forward to maintain the same position to the pedal if you're dropping crank yeah. as well there um other rules well i don't know really it's <laughs> a really good question um that's the main one really in terms of okay. when changing positions the, the, i suppose sorry i'm just thinking on my feet here i think the big thing is that you remember and always when we when you're trying to get more error and higher and further forward the thing you've got to remember is that you don't want to put yourself in a position that will injure yourself you know so if you're feeling pain at the back of the knee then it's probably too high rocking a lot my big one is making sure the knee's not come too far forward of the foot and if you've got that then you'll know you'll get more increased pain in your knees in your knees you know um generally you know those sorts of things if you've made a change in position and you're starting to get aches and pains maybe one of those things has gone slightly wrong yeah perfect uh next one is from sam an athlete that i coach in the uk who asks do you think it's only a matter of time before we see triathletes catch up with what is possible in terms of aero optimization that we see for example on the british time trialing scene or are other factors like running off the bike always going to be limiters i think we sort of tackled this already with sort of like the importance of comfort as well in for triathlon and the different uh, the comparison of of the pursuit uh, in, the, in the olympic pursuit and uh, and the long distance triathlon races but uh, do you think that there's still the triathletes still have room to improve on the aero optimization kind of uh, spectrum I, yeah I, I think some of them do I, I i i have to say though i see some triathletes and i'm in with incredibly good positions i think there's i think a lot of the catching up has been done uh, where the rules allow you know and um I think uh, some of the triathlon and Ironman community, if you ask me, are much more open to new ideas and embracing change than some of the cycling ones, actually. So I, I think of it slightly differently. In fact, um, and Chris Borman, when I was at British Cycling, they, once we were in the wind tunnel discussing that, said for that the, um, the, the, the the rules around in uh, the UCI around cycling, which we're always trying to get around to get more aero, really frustrate innovation. Whereas in Ironman, you have you have far more or less of that. And, and, and to a certain extent, in triathlon so therefore the much more embracing of new and ideas so i think they are catching up and and maybe some people are lagging behind but yeah yeah you know as much as i through know, the listeners so far would have gone and i'm a physiotherapist first and foremost so i suppose it's normal that i'd always go well what well, make sure that position is safe first of all and sustainable and, and and therefore not going to injure you but aerodynamics is free speed yeah 
<laughs> so it, it's uh, yeah, if you can get a good bite for it with an aero drop, and we used to see taking people through literally a static process, um, similar to one we do in the clinic at BC, we would often see drops of yeah, front CDA drops of between ridiculous amounts you know but up to six to eight percent now if you think about that once you're up to a certain speed on a bike the difference between aero and power one for one to if you imagine getting six percent strength gain off a gym routine or a strong training block we'd all be majorly happy and yet you can do that in one session in an aero session so i understand people's um pursuit of aero because it is literally free speed (laughs) Caveat to to that to me would be, if anyone's going to invest that much in that, definitely invest as much as you can in the most aero skin suit because whilst the bike is uh, around about 9 to 11% of the frontal area, you're about 90. So um, that's why skin suits work really well. (laughs) Yeah. So once you've got the good position, make sure the air flows over you in the best way possible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This next question is from uh, Johan in Sweden, coached by uh, Coach Lucky from Scientific Triathlon. Uh, This is a really good question there. Like, how how do you find a really good bike fitter? Uh, Should you read reviews or just trust the process and see what uh, what happens? Uh, I was lucky to find a really good bike fitter, but it would be interesting to cover this part a bit more. Yeah, that's that. That's a really good question. So, um, I suppose the industry that I'm very much part of now, bike fitting, isn't a profession and isn't regulated to, in any way, really. So, it, it is hard uh, it, to find um, people of a certain standard, you know, that are going to meet your goals and needs uh, in any way because it's not a regulatory body. The the thing I would say with that is the same though. I get questions about that about physiotherapists. How do I know? Yeah. I think you should always maybe um, engage with them in either an email or phone conversation, explain what you're looking for. And if you ask the right, yeah, ask them the questions that you want answering and you believe in what they're telling you, you're probably going to have a good chance of success. You know, So I often have some people asking me, what, 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 what are we going to do there? I explain our process. And for the people who that suits them, they're like, yeah, I know what I, I, that's what I want. You know, and I think you'll find out pretty quickly if somebody isn't, uh, got the skill set that is going to deliver what you want you'll hear that in the answer to those questions so i think a little bit time invested in and in, in not too of a you know drawn out way asking somebody look this is what my goal is first of all that's the, that's the most important thing. establish what you want out of the bike fit and then do a bit of research on the internet but of course everybody will, um, on the internet it's, just, it's a bit of a minefield isn't it everyone can claim to be everything and then uh, you know uh, maybe testimonials are a really good way of looking at it as well if other people had success but it is a really good question because unfortunately this body isn't regulated. For example, the kit I use is retool. Fantastic for kit, if you ask me. But one retool fit is nowhere the same as the other as somebody else's because there's not. It's very hard to regulate how they do that. That's the trouble that the, the systems like retool and stuff have is that whilst they used to have a university that train people up, you know, how do you know what what that person is doing in their day to day fitting practice? So it is a bit of a mindful my best advice is the same as uh, i often say to uh, <clears throat> people who are not getting better with physios you should be seeing some demonstrative improvement after free treatment sessions and you should believe in the diagnosis that you've been given uh, i wouldn't want you to go for free bike fits <laughs> before you found out that so but what i would say is maybe ask some questions first of all establish what you want out of it and if you get a good gut feeling that, that person is understanding you and understanding the questions you're answering and giving you answers that seem plausible then i think you go for it 
Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I would add actually that one thing that I think is beneficial to do is to ask local coaches and local and the fast local athletes yes. because they would generally already have sort of scoured the area for who the best ones are. And those are the ones that they go to. So if you ask a few of the, the faster local athletes or the local coaches that, that know everybody in the, in the industry, then that, that would be a good, another good way to get an idea of, of who might be the best candidates. I think that's a that's a really good point, Michael. With the caveat that some make it maybe understand if there's any relationship between those people, though, is yeah. in terms of because um, some coaching setups offer bike fit within in house, and that's absolutely fine. It often comes a bit cheaper sometimes as part of that setup, but um, it might have been. But you're absolutely right. You know, it, it, local knowledge. Yeah, pe- people who've had success, ask around, ask your friends. You know, um, see yeah. who, we'll see what you come up with. A personal recommendation is as good as anything sometimes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, one a question from Michael in the UK: When changing a position to become more aero, is it better to make incremental changes over time or make one big? Well, I think we already answered that evolution over evolution, right? Yes, it's evolution for me because if you change it massively, you you, you you might have a really good position, but you just can't hold it. You know, you might be able you, you might be able to, but it's a it's it's a there's some risk attached to that. You know, so yeah, evolution from my mind is better. Yeah. Uh, all right and uh, let's see here okay so this one is is good jan from calgary in canada asks uh, short of booking a bike at the same time what are the key sizing criteria when buying a bike well the key sizing criteria when buying a bike okay um well if you have a bike already what is that position and i would know i would try and know from the internet measure yourself what the frame stack and reach is and if you're buying a new bike and you're happy with the position you've got, then the frame stack and reach, and then the stem length, crank length, and the seat post, you know, all those sort of things should be out. Hopefully, you're going to, you need to match them up so that you're not going to get massively the wrong size bike. That's with the caveat that your position, you're happy with your position you've got now. Yeah. So that and, 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 what, and what if you're, let's say you have a road bike, but you don't have a time trial bike, so you can't do that. You, sure. you, you, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. How do you, you just don't know, actually. I think, I, I, you know what I say with this, Michael, is often if you can, go and try try and sit on one, you know. That's the way, I mean, I think if you're going from road to time trial, the site, the, the, no, the sizes generally follow pretty well, actually. You know, they'll, they'll get you there. But you definitely, it, it, that's one time I would advocate somebody going for and getting some objective outside help. You know what, you guys who are coaches, sometimes I've seen some really good coaches who will help a rider do that and get pretty damn close to what they'll do is normally make sure people are safe, you know, and in a position that they can at least get onto and start to train in. Um, it might not be completely optimal, but it's normally within that. So maybe taking your coach's advice. The sizes somewhat relate. You can ask the bike companies, you know, most of most people make time trial bikes, make road bikes. And, you know, I'd email them and say, look, I'm this size bike on this. What do you recommend? Some of them are really good at coming back to you and offering you help, you know. Um, that's all short of it. I, I would advocate if you want to be sure, I'd go for a fit process to get transfer from road to try if you haven't done it before. Yeah. A lot of bike companies, they have, uh, they, you know, they, they take measures like the, the inseam and your, mm. uh, your torso length, perhaps. Yes. Uh, not, yeah. And things like yeah. that. So if you can get a bit more specific with, with where you actually have the, the height of your body, then that can also help the process. That's r- absolutely right. You know, the, 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 a lot of them will have online uh, tools where you fill in those details. Um, and that's anthropology measurements that they'll, but the only thing we have to remember there is that 
that's based upon the normal distribution curve of the size of human beings. And you know, some people with medical needs or long legs, short torso, opposite way around, sometimes fall either side of that. But for about about 70% of the population, that they work pretty well in getting you at least on the right size frame, definitely. Hmm. All right. Uh, next question is from Aaron in Australia, and uh, we're getting we're getting towards the end, but I'm going to get. Uh, go through a few more questions this one is uh, just wondering how to minimize hand numbness through the bike setup and uh, and also if the setup needs to be any different for climbing well yeah yeah so uh, we've, <laughs> we're getting towards the end now like oh we get we some questions are repeating themselves yeah the, the optimal climb position is different if you ever go to uh, the national hill climb championship here at great Britain, you'll see some amazing setups because all they've got to do is go uphill you know so massively shorter higher front stem and you know um, saddle uh, saddle tilted down and stuff because the road's meeting you so the bike position is different so yeah climbing setup is different but unfortunately you have to descend as well that's why we see you know when you see up and downhill time trial courses in things like the Tour de France you'll see sometimes the answer to the question is that you know some athletes will riders will take the time to change a bike that's how how important it is and therefore you know the position is you know is more optimal in slightly different position his answer about um question about numbness is um normally i would start with checking your handlebar width as we mentioned earlier if it's too wide or too narrow you could be too much pressure in your hand in a and the wrist is not in a neutral position um the most common thing is too much weight on it and and that can be because you, 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 your front end's too low or your back end too high, and therefore your front end feels too low. So taking the excessive weight there. Arms being locked out all the time. You should be able to cycle in a road position where your arms slightly flex comfortably, and it shouldn't be an effort to do that. But if you feel like you're having to lock your arms out to keep stable in that position, there's something going wrong in there. And that, if I'm honest with you, Michael, that can be a lot of different things. It might not be, you know, it can like be front or back end. But if you start with handlebar whip, that's normally a good thing. And if some people, unfortunately, just suffer from what your handlebar palsy, as you call it, the um, the median and the ulnar nerve go underneath the large patch of soft skin that's underneath the base of the thumb called a femur eminence. And some people are just more prone to that. And, you know, just, you know, if all things equal, your position is as good as it can be, you still suffer from that. The, the little gloves that have gel in there can sometimes help with that, as well as double bar taping. Yeah, perfect. And uh, a similar question. Noel in uh, the United Arab Emirates uh, asks about feet getting numb in his shoes. Uh, what might that be about? Okay, so two things with feet going numb, normal causes, or oh, three actually, is uh, make sure you're not over-tightening because if you over-tighten, our feet swell when we cycle, especially if he's in, where he's living in the desert, um, you'll go out and you get um, the, the, the foot is the hardest area of the body for circulation to return from. That's why people who are sedentary get what we call pitting edema and the ankle swell, you know, and stuff like that. Same on a bike, you know, when you've been out for hours and hours, that your, your ankle, sometimes you might remember taking your sock off and you see the lines where the sock's been. It's just because the fluid has been unable to return. The heart's not strong enough to get it all back and it will normalize once you stop cycling in that dependent position. So just always make sure you're not over-tightening because your sweet do swell or you, you, you can loosen off your shoes and see if that helps. If it does, then that, that's your answer to that. Um, more common cause is that your foot posture might be one, um, for example, an over-pronator or flat arch. And you could be putting, because cycling is a four-foot sport, we put a lot of pressure through the forefoot, then you can put a huge amount of pressure through um, the first rate. And next to that is a big neurovascular bundle. 
um, which people sometimes get problems more advanced with that called Morton's neuroma. And that, that can lead to numbness as well because that neural bundle gets pushed on a lot. And so you get neuropraxia and then it feels numb throughout. Um, the answer to that one is that sometimes you might need to seek out a bit more medical professional help, um, maybe from a bike fitter who can do insoles or a podiatrist so who understands cycling because uh, it is a four foot sport. Um, it needs a full length cycling for it, but it can often be easily helped by um, uh, off the shelf insoles. Um, you know, um, just like um, specialized do their plus, two plus, three plus range. There are other ones out there. Uh, or sometimes, like I say, a bespoke insole will really help with the numbers if the cause is um, the foot posture in the shoe being uh, put under pressure. Perfect. And then the next question is from uh, Lasse in Germany who writes, what is different with the positioning of a snub nose saddle uh, and uh, a normal road saddle on a road bike? I have problems to get the snub nose saddles comfortable. Yeah, so um, great change in the last sort of five, six years with the short nose saddles uh, coming into play. And most of them say referencing where we were with standard saddles, you know, a physique Arioni is about 30 centimeters long and a lot and what like that. And now the short nose ones have come in. Uh, to great good effect actually so not a lot of them will say okay fast your position there you should be sitting the nose of the saddle two centimeters back for example i don't actually find that that works that well all the time so i find the your your um your listener's question really interesting because the advantage of a short nose saddle is that you can move it forward a little bit i mean um, in the pro setup the reason why they're, they're popular is that they get behind the five behind the cent- bottom bracket rule <laughs> so, so you can you can get in a much more aggressive position with a very short nose saddle because the rules towards the nose of the saddle and you bring the part that you want to sit on closer but i think for a lot of people the advantage of a short nose saddle is that you're getting the sit bone support of a traditional t-shaped road saddle but it's getting out of the way much quicker and the flares quicker and the nose gets there so they don't have to um and get more better leg clearance more pelvic tilt and they're easier to sit on if you if you're not and really done loads of cycling for years and years because quite a long saddle you know it's, it's great for different positions riding on the river climbing up the hill in a more rotate bow position but if you're a bit more novice and you you're not expert about ways to sit you have to work that out so short no saddles work well there i i would, I would say it is a do it the, the manufactured guidelines are normally pretty good to start with but once you've got it on there put it on the turbo and I would say make small adjustments to see how that feels. Literally five mil forward on the rail and a little bit nose down will often really, really make a big difference. Um, and one thing you should look out for, what your reader might be suffering with, is um, the trend towards, I don't know if you've found this, Michael, but uh, the, uh, Pillarello have a lot of this, is, is where you have um, offset seat posts. And uh, they, they flare backwards at the end. So the seat post is in line, and all of a sudden it chucks back, and that's where it grips the saddle problem with the short nose saddles is because of short nose that you run out of rail to bring them to the most effective setback so a lot of those will be saying sitting at minus 90 to 100 mils which is quite far back you know um so maybe that's a that's, that's the issue is that if you've got an offset seat post maybe you can't get the short nose saddle far forward so what you have to do then is look for an inline seat post where the clamps in line with the seat tube and it means you can optimize your saddle position um the, for the best for you all right um let me see here and to see what questions we haven't answered yet crank length we have um cleat position we have okay this one is interesting from christoph in austria what are the what are the changing best practice trends compared to what fitters did a couple of years ago or maybe a decade five years or a decade ago uh yeah are there any trends that you that stick out to you 
uh, aerodynamic, did you say, or just bike fitting? No, just in general, bike fitting in general. <laughs> okay, that's hard for me to answer because <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm myself. But I think, um, I think people are taking more notice of crank length. I hope. I think uh, that, that that's important. And the, I think they, a lot of bike fitters these days will look for a comfort and sustainability in the position because. Uh, and that might be because of the people who are coming into the game. I think, yeah, that that's the, the, the but there's also seems to be a, a lot of trend in the aerodynamic setups towards the high end position. I don't think all people understand that completely, as I said, sometimes in that there's not a one size fits all. And I, one criticism of my industry would be that sometimes uh, there is a bit of a one-size-fits-all approach. So there's a little bit of sheep herd mentality towards, oh, that seems to be working for everyone else to so go that way. Um, one thing I think which is great is um, is people who are offering um, insoles for cycling, even if you don't necessarily need a corrective insole, I think optimizing your foot position inside your shoe. One thing I know is that if, if you get an insole made for you cycling, um, people will always really, really enjoy that because – it's a static foot sport, so it's almost like skiing. In fact, the only podiatrist I've really, really found who understood um, cycling really, really well, and he's brilliant, was that he went in the ski injury, first of all, because it's that's a four-foot sport as well. So capturing the foot really, really does make a big difference to bike fit. And I think a lot more bike fitters are incorporating you know, foot comfort overall if, into their overall bike thing, rather than jumping in there thinking, oh, you've got foot pain because your position's wrong. Do you actually need a bit of a better thing there? And I do, and alongside that, a lot of them now have a lot more knowledge about what are the better shoes for certain people because we all have different feet <laughs> and uh, some of those feet fit better than others into that. And when it becomes a static sport, then your shoe choice becomes a lot more crucial. All right, great. Uh, three more questions and we okay. can keep them pretty, pretty short. Uh, the first one is from uh, José uh, in Portugal who asks about... Uh, how can we so he i'm going to shorten it a little bit but let's say you go to three different bike fitters to get a bike fit and then uh, you can get slightly different results or maybe even a lot different results so the question is how can we understand what our best position is if we don't have a common result among different bike fitters which is quite interesting it is it is it's a really good question in fact i was part of a um, a journalistic article a few years ago where um, a journalist went around secretly to, I think it was five or six different bike fitters in the UK. And it, uh, he was, it was quite interesting that they found the results were very similar and, uh, and there were slight differences. But what they found were the reasons for why they ended up in the position were given as very different. So that's, that's interesting. And um, it's a good question and one that is really hard to answer. He's like, yeah, um, your optimal one thing I'd say is your optimal position is different every day in some in some people because it depends. At the end of a hard week, sat at your desk, slaving over the computer, um, your best optimal bike position may be completely different to when you've had four weeks on holiday, just cycling, you know, in Europe, enjoying on a training camp. You probably be a lot more, you know, optimal at the end of that and aggressive and can take up a, a better position. So, and I never like to criticize any other bike fitter's position because I don't know what happened on that day. I don't know what condition the person was in, what information they gave to the bike fitter. But at the same time, I sympathize with him because I think there can be very, very different results from different people, you know. Um, it, it, my, 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 all I can really comment, comment on is my process is very holistic and we spend a lot of time talking to people at the beginning 
and then a, off, a physical examination of the person and then the examination of the position as it is now. And then I come up with a plan. And I one of my mantras is I don't change anyone's position, you change it. In other words, if you agree with what I'm telling you and you think it's going to work, we will change it, but we're not doing it unless the case there. So I think what the problem come off to comes with maybe is um, the lack of um, involvement in the person in the middle of the process, the rider, which is the important thing in the process. And I'll tell you one thing, Michael, nearly all my bike fits, in fact, all three yesterday when I was in the clinic, um, I knew the person told me the answer. They told me the problem and the answer in the consultation in the beginning. And uh, so I think listening is the really important thing in bike fit and maybe the one thing that can be maybe improve around those things. He's absolutely right, you guy, though, because um, you know, retail has its um, what you call normative ranges. And each of these systems, if bike fitters are using systems and they're relying upon the system to tell them the bike fit, then you will come up with different positions because I think they're not, they, they generally agree, but they're ever so slightly different normative ranges. If your bike fit is pushing you into that number constantly, and that's one journalist who came to see me at the time was saying that um, she was coming to telling the bike fit, this is getting more and more uncomfortable but the numbers were going greener and greener. So he was happy and she criticized that, uh, you know, in the press. And that's because there are very good reasons why some people don't fit into the parameters of a normal bike fit um, setup or protocol. And that's one where maybe where my profession as a physiotherapist can have more benefit in understanding, okay, there's a problem with the human being here. That's why that's there. And be comfortable with leaving those numbers where they are to achieve the goal that the person set out. Yeah, that's that's a great answer. And while it's not directly comparable to coaching, I can't help but think about coaching. There are many different ways. There's not a unique solution. There's no one best training program as well. Like you can have uh, Anne Haug training very differently to Daniela Rief uh, when they both won the uh, the Hawaii Ironman World Championships one year apart. But I mean, still the training they did was obviously both of them did great training to to be able to win but uh, yeah that's exactly. just one example exactly it's, it's a really good point and that, really good point michael and the best coaches i've ever worked with are the ones who can adapt the program all of us can write i always say you know gerant thomas who's one of the tour de france anyone can write a program for him you know because <laughs> he just adapts to it he's so strong he never gets injured you know we can write a training program he just go off and do it as hard as it was you know the skill is that he's writing a training program for, uh, that that has to adapt to injury, illness, things that are changed in the world, pandemics, for example, things like that. You know, um, and a famous quote by Bradley Wiggins' coach was once when I first joined in cycling. I always remember it because it really rams home your point. There, he, he, he turned to me in the car and once said, "I used to think I was a great coach, and then I realised I was coaching him." <laughs> you know words, <laughs> yeah. if you've got a great it's like a chef if you've got an amazing ingredient already then it's pretty hard to muck up it and then it's your fault so yeah it, individualistic approach and that comes back again as it's funny isn't it we go full circle again listening listening to what someone's telling you yeah all right two more uh the first one is from christian in the netherlands who writes uh, when i'm sitting on my tt bike i sit maybe one centimeter to the left of the center of the saddle nothing hurts but this makes my entire alignment on the bike slightly off is this something to be fixed or just to live with oh that's a really good question so if it's causing him no problem i think it, so i talk about a threshold being crossed to make an intervention so if it's within the realms of normal, it's not robbing of power. It's not it's not problematic. It's just aesthetically unpleasing, but it's not causing many problems. It may well be something to do with him, and he's worked out what he, I would call his optimal pathway of cycling, his optimal movement pathway. So in which case, when, if you're going to change that, 
what you have to be fully aware of is if it's going to cause more problems than it's going to solve. Um, but you could try and do it. For example, all you might have is a, a slight functional leg depth difference, which with good correction and saddle height change, cleat buildup may correct itself. But you have to be do, go into that open-minded that unless you're coming in with raging one-sided saddle sore or knee pain or something that's stopping you cycling, then our, our chances of having a successful outcome are less so because it's just an aesthetic thing that he's noticed. Perfect. And last one, Steve in Australia uh, asked about, we've kind of answered this already, but uh, it's a slightly different nuance. So basically uh, he has uh, he has had bike fits on his DT position and his goal is Ironman racing. His bike fitter has some concerns around holding a more aggressive position for five hours and then being able to run effectively. But Steve says that he's quite strong through the core and has reasonable flexibility. Uh, actually, he says that his position is already quite aggressive. For example, back angle is 20 degrees from horizontal. He's wondering what is the best way to determine optimal bike posi- position for long course triathlon that balances being aerodynamic but not too extreme to affect the run. And would the optimal would would you determine that by trial and error or rules of thumb or so on what's the process there it's really hard and those that's the problem with um, bike fit for optimal performance in sub max cycling is very very hard to objectively substantiate i think that's why you find that um proteins sometimes don't buy into it that much it wind tunnel and aero positions you can prove that but then over the the variables are so huge over long distances that really what you're doing is, is using all your experience, history, and knowledge and extrapolating out from what you find what, in what we do, which is what I call dynamic static fit. And I, it's like dynamic, at least you're moving and we're catching done out data, but it is on a turbo, you know. Uh, and the same in the winter, it's in a static position, but yeah, at least you've got dynamic air moving over. So there's no way other than trying a position and, and there are so many variables so you could equally argue you know how do you if you go better in one race and your splits are better but was it because the wind was in a certain direction was it because your training had gone better was it this it's really hard to know so you, you basically got to do the best you've got with that and go with go with your team and the support that you got and the best knowledge that you have of how it feels i, I often go back to this but if it feels strong feels right and feels good it probably is, <laughs> and, that, and that is a, a, what you feel subjectively shouldn't be dismissed. You know what you don't know, and that is what you're missing out on. But I think on the longer course, course events like that, where you're looking at five hours, the subjective feeling becomes more um, of a, a, a weighted bearing in, in that decision making process. Whereas if you can imagine, Mike, if I'm taking you to the line in the Olympic team pursuit, and you're telling me that your neck's hurting at the end of the race. And I say, well, does it matter as long as you win gold medal? No, because you're not going to break yourself doing that. But at the end of five hours, you know, it could really impact on your performance in the run, cause you injury, you know, really destroy your enjoyment of the event. So I think um, it's a it's a really good question. And the reason why he's asking it is there's no easy answer. <laughs> and that's it. As best as I can do, sorry. Yeah, but I think I think that brings up a great point that I want to elaborate a little bit on with the feeling good and like enjoying the event. Because actually, if you get off the bike in an Ironman and uh, you have felt strong, you feel that you were, was, you were able to put out power throughout the entire bike leg, you're on a 
good sort of trajectory there and that can uh, translate to having a better run performance whereas if you feel that oh you weren't quite able to push power the way you wanted to even though maybe your bike was actually faster because you were so aerodynamic and so aggressive potentially it can have a negative effect on your run just from a psychological point of view because you don't feel that you have a strong day even though that might be just because of the aggressive position and your speed was actually good I 100% agree. And it comes around to, uh, I've worked with, as you do, some very, very elite, uh, you know, these athletes, they are wired up different to us. And the biggest difference is often the psycho- psychology. And I couldn't agree more, you know, it, it just gets, it just built, it's it brick upon brick upon brick of pain in, in, in that event, uh, five hours. You, I, I'm definitely, it's a really good point. I never really thought about it, but a psychologically healthy position <laughs> on the bike to come off, you know, I'd probably sacrifice yeah, five ten watts. You know, to say that if you can get off the bike feeling fresher and into the run, which is the event that will win or lose you an Ironman. It, you know, uh, surely that's worth it. You know, It'd be, you're absolutely right. It's it's all balancing it out, isn't it? Horses for courses, isn't it? Getting getting that balance between. And why I find that you know, that the sport so interesting is that you know you've got to be good enough for all three events, and it's just you know put you. Spending spending your bucks where you where they're going to have the biggest impact for you, you know. So I agree with you though. Too aggressive aero position. I've never seen it. There's not many people. You may correct me. You get off the bike, knackered at the front of the race in an incredibly aggressive aero position, but then go on to win. So I think it's it's the the, the balance, isn't it? The key, just the same as in training. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that was it. We've covered a lot. We didn't get to quite all of the questions, but but a lot of the questions we didn't cover were covered almost uh, by some other questions. So really, really uh, grateful for you, Phil, to take all of this time to to answer these questions. Uh, fantastic uh, to to get your expertise. Uh, just uh, before you go, uh, tell the listeners where they can follow you and if you have any anything going on, any projects or or just generally if people are interested in bike fits, where are you located and so on. Yeah, sure. So we're based in Manchester um, and the clinic at the Manchester Institute of Health and Performance, which is this amazing facility next to Man City Football Club's brand new training ground. And so that's where we do our work there if anyone needs to come and see us. Um, the website's there, philbertinnovation.co.uk. Um, something that's going really well is the YouTube channel, and we'll be bringing new videos to that soon. So you can go there for free tips, help, and advice. And yeah, we've got no, we've got quite a few projects going on. Some of which I can't really talk about yet, but there's some stuff, there's some equipment coming that you'll see in the next uh, year or two um, in the clothing and the um, what you wear sort of uh, Pariel world that will really uh, I'm really excited about what it's going to do for triathlon and and Ironman training and road cycling so. Cool. And, and you mentioned at the beginning doing some online bike fits as well. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Who might that be for? Yeah, because that's, that's a good point. Um, so we, we pivoted, obviously, during the pandemic. We were closed, quite rightly, for safety measures for the 12 weeks. But there was, um, in the UK, and I'm sure the rest of the world, an absolute boom in cycling. So uh, And many people doing indoor stuff. So we, we had lots of inquiries with people who were having problems and wanted to have some advice. So we, did, we offer a remote bike fitting process during that and we had quite a lot of international inquiries um did a few people in america australia uh, united Arab emirates places like that who were I don't, for whatever reason just wanted to get in touch and go and it seemed to go what i was surprised by was how well that went i would always say that a face-to-face process might be the best but it, they seem to really get a lot of benefit out of it so uh, we're thinking about maybe pivoting that and offer, offering that as a 
uh, service all the time now, but for people who are obviously geographically catered, maybe in a place where you can't do it. Where we did it was just like you send in a summary of what your goal is, what what you think your issue is or your problem, what you want to get out of it. Free videos, front, side, and back, and uh, basically a static picture of your bike. And then basically I review all that, and then we jump on a half-hour phone call. And, and there's it hoovers up all those large gains that can be made. So if there's some uh, wildly out there, you know, it might people might want some confidence and a bit of hand holding you're making some changes that they know need to be made but haven't got maybe a handy local resource to help them guide that in that way you know so crank length being one of them for example you know what would you jump to if you did do and it, it can make a big difference to them without actually seeing them in person so yeah if, if anyone out there is listening to this and wants to get in touch about that just drop us an email perfect yeah and actually i can see myself i, I could maybe benefit from that because i have a a great bike fitter, but uh, two and a half hours away from where I live. And uh, I also need to rent a car for that because I don't own a car. So it's basically a, an entire day field trip. So I have been bike fitted there. But if I want to do some adjustments to my like more yeah simple adjustments to my, my bike, perhaps that, that would be something that I would yeah. even be interested in. So that's, a I think, an example just for people that if your local bike fitter that you prefer to go to is quite far away, then, then maybe that's yeah. a, an alternative. That's an right. example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Phil. Uh, it was great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, hope we can talk again at some other point in the future. Absolute pleasure, Michael. Always my pleasure. And uh, hope everyone's well and stay safe and well out there. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Phil as always. And uh, thank you once again to all of you listeners for all the great questions that came in. A quick tip, if uh, for episodes like this in the future, probably the best way to uh, make sure that uh, that these questions get into consideration is uh, through email when I send out an email to the email newsletter. So uh, sign up for the newsletter, which you can do on scientifictriathlon.com. And then when we have episodes like this in the future, you'll get to know for sure. And there's no chance you'll miss that. And you'll get your chance to to ask questions for whoever guest we might may be doing a listener Q&A like this with. And um, actually, I really enjoyed this format. It's obviously a new uh, episode format that we haven't done a lot of before. So I would really appreciate getting feedback. What did you think? Is this something you would like to see more of? For example, having like really good swimming coaches on to talk about triathlon swimming or really good running coaches to talk about triathlon running and doing q and a's around those specific topics or any topic really uh, there are tons of options there so uh, so yeah if you enjoyed this and would like to see this for other topics than bike fitting then uh, please email me and let me know and also let me know if you have any preferred topics that that you would like to see or even guest guest requests for such a q and a as always, you can find the show notes for this episode on scientifictriathlon.com and I'll link to the previous episode with Phil, which was episode 232, and of course to his website and uh, social media uh, where you can find uh, find what he's doing with uh, Philbert Innovation. We'll be back on Thursday with another Q&A episode and then on Monday an interview uh, slash episode to be determined not known at the moment of this recording so just subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss it uh, i'm sure that it will be something good if you're looking for training plans or coaching services scientifictraffle.com is where i recommend you go if you want to improve your triathlon performance uh, we try to make sure that our services and products are of the highest possible quality uh, so uh, yeah i think that you will not be disappointed if you go down uh, that road 
Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy uh, for your training and racing and get 15% off your order with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, dry suits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses, and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.